1: Friday, time to close out summer of 93 at 30 week With a music video It's the summer
2: of 93 at 30
1: Today it is Troy Day As the Saturday evening Post, Troy Brownfield the de- debuts here Finally, welcome Troy Hey, how's it going? Returning champion Returning All champion Alright, right. so as I've been doing With everybody else who comes on here before we get into your first music video, we'll talk your memories of '93. Summer, preferably, but '93 in general.
3: Easy. No, I actually remember it quite well. So, summer of 1993, I was in college at Indiana State University. Mm-hmm. Um, I had started dating my wife um, that January. Um, so, you know, I was really actively involved in the music scene at campus. I did a lot of booking and so forth of putting shows on and everything. But um, it, it's hard to say um, in certain levels of this, because we, we've talked about this a lot, but music culturally was everywhere in a very different way. Like mm-hmm. there's music everywhere now, but um, it seemed like something impactful and something, you know, Kind of earth shaking was coming out all the time in the in the '90s. Yeah, and there were um, this was the period of big upheaval in music, um, which I know we've talked about before. The in after the sound scan changed in 1991, the way that they tabulate music sales. Mm-hmm. It was previously that record store owners would report. Not what the actual sales numbers were, but what they thought was selling. Right, it's so bizarre to to the record labels, and they would send stuff, and so they switched to um, a point of purchase uh, program called SoundScan. Literally, what they do was they'd scan it, but it wasn't just scanning it to make the sale; it would report the data, it would store and report. Mm. And all of a sudden, the record companies found out that what they thought was selling wasn't actually what was selling. You know, hip-hop was selling in much larger numbers than they thought. Country was selling in much larger numbers than they thought. And this system was widely introduced just in time for the alternative explosion, the Seattle bands to really rip it up. And it was the tail end, like the the hair metal would end, but Metallica and Guns N' Roses would survive quite well, thank you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But the the crazy ass nature of what you see in the charts that happens for the album charts in uh, 92 and, and 93 as a result of that, where you have um, Guns N' Roses debuting at number one and they're knocked out by, you know, Michael Jackson is knocked out by Garth Brooks. who's knocked out by Nirvana and like all these things. And, you know, it's, it wasn't exactly in that order, but you know, it was, that's who was right. popping the charts. Yeah. You know, Whitney Houston would be replaced by, you know, Soundgarden. It was, it was mm-hmm. a huge upheaval because people didn't know. They didn't expect it. There wasn't data. and Now all of a sudden there's data at a time when all these bands are exploding. And NWA kind of missed the window when NWA came out because, you know, you had the 88, 89, 90 releases, but then uh, like Cube Solo album and then Dre's The Chronic benefited from sound scan because they got their actual numbers right out and you know chronic blew up in a way that some other albums had not <laughs> and so you know i remember that period of literally like every week something crazy was coming out and then the kind of the flash one that everybody talks about is september of 1991 um like this six week period the four the four and a half weeks of september and then the Two weeks on either side, where you literally had Metallica's Black album, Guns and Roses. Usually, right? Oh, yeah. One, There's two, a too, meme
1: Chirvanas. now for that. Never yeah. mind.
3: Yeah. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers' Blood Sugar Sex Magic Soundgarden's Bad Wonder Figure. These these fucking things came out week after week, and some of them on the same day. September of twenty fourth, ninety one, uh, was Chili Peppers, Soundgarden, Nirvana, all came out that day, and it's craziness. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it presents a huge upheaval that ran. For a couple of years, so we get to the summer of '93. We're in the wake of all of this has changed mm. dramatically, and the landscape of what people are listening to has changed dramatically. And you can't also discount. I mean, obviously, we're talking about music videos. Kids don't get, and it's not because they're kids; then they're dumb. Kids didn't live through it. They don't get how much of a presence MTV was. Right. Because MTV is now 12 Hours of Ridiculousness reruns
1: a day. That's all it is, yeah.
3: And back then, there was actual music. There was no other. So Mm -hmm. you you could have the radio, and you had MTV. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's what you had. And these music videos that you're talking about um, within your programs uh, right now, um, they were all massive chart hits right so not only were the videos very popular the songs themselves were incredibly popular and selling millions of copies because people uh-huh. still bought music yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and paid for it in, in in single form so I mean it's it's crazy it, it's a very crazy time that is hard to explain if you didn't live through it because the notion of you didn't have any of these systems you had to go, to a place and pay for it and they gave it to (laughs) you
1: well and now it's a system that's really weird basing off of like streaming listens or you know to it's it's weird
3: yeah there's a a a breakdown that's been going around lately that tells you like how many streams per it takes to get to a dollar or something and right you know title pays the best but it still takes like 947 streams to get a dime or something i mean it's crazy numbers like they're you know terrible
1: terrible percentages and, the and physical sales are like a joke compared to what they they used to be
3: oh yeah physical sales are terrible outside of a handful of people you know taylor swift is basically keeping Uh, Physical sales afloat by yourself,
1: and mostly they're vinyl sales nowadays too. That's yeah hitting the heavier because it's more of a collector thing, and plus it's the better physical uh, of the thing, the better sounding one.
3: Yeah, vinyl is practically non-existent by 1993. At that point, Mm -hmm. it you'd had the arc of the compact disc is introduced in 1984 in a widescreen. I think it was shown in 82, and then by 84, it's it's out in Mm -hmm. wide numbers. And then you've got the, the vinyl, the CD, and the cassette. And pretty much within a couple of years, vinyl is almost entirely phased out. Yep. And partially because of it, it. you could rack far less copies of albums than you could of CDs and cassettes. And mm-hmm. so the record stores went all in on, on the new, and the, like vinyl got increasingly smaller. And, you know, in mall stores and chain record stores, and cassettes and CDs got bigger but the economy of it shifted because as people bought fewer 45s then people were more likely to buy a whole album. Right. And and so you had these and not only that but people would buy albums when they debuted in huge numbers just like movie openings uh mm. used to be. <laughs> so right. first week sales were a huge thing and you had albums Going platinum in the first week, you know, selling millions of copies in week one, and you know that that hadn't happened to that extent, or at least it wasn't trackable, right? You know, yeah, well, I in, you. until the '90s, and so it, it's it's a very different system, and and uh, you know, famously, um, there you can find it on YouTube. There is a video of Left Eye from TLC explaining how you can sell millions of dollars of millions of albums and still go bankrupt. But she right, breaks yeah, yeah. down what the economy of it was at the time where she talks about exactly what the division is of how many cents each person got a record. The royalty is like 5%.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So um, an Oasis when when they came out, they knew that this was bad shit. So they argued to get like 6%
2: because
3: <laughs> uh, they wanted they, they tried to get like that one more percent. Uh, but really, you know, if you had a $10 album, Mm-hmm. Then the artists were making fifty cents
2: mm.
3: off of <laughs> you know, so you could sell a million dollars yeah. and you'd be like a thousandaire, but you got to <laughs> split it with management and everything, you know. Yeah. So it's so it's like it's like a really crazy system. So, and I I feel like that's important to to talk about it, and give it all that context because in nineteen ninety three, from a geological time standpoint um millions selling rap albums were still kind of a novelty to the music business right if you yeah yeah Hammer and vanilla ice in 90 and 91. it was there was like a this many people who were selling millions of records in the genre
1: right yeah it was all yeah it was that was it it was gonna be a fad that was the that was the talk
3: yeah guitar music's on its way out you yeah. know yeah, what what,
1: <laughs> what music had like I mean, well, it has been like a fad and just died out. Like, I can't. Because, I mean, Ska has had popular phases, but it's still around.
3: Yeah, I don't think anything goes away entirely. And even if you could point to, like, disco culture, disco with aesthetic dying off, disco as a sound is very present in lots of different music. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Groove, in the, Groove is in the Heart by D-Light was a disco song in yeah. every way you know there's different songs that hell there, there's mm-hmm. songs by the weekend or whatever that they're very much disco songs yeah but um you know that i i don't know but i think that there's a lot of stuff baked into that whole hip-hop's a fad and i think mm-hmm. it was really like a lot of white people saying that
1: oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's probably you know, what it was, yeah. Not, not paying attention to the fact that it had been Well, the Beastie a Boys time. might stay around, but the rest of it's probably gone.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, we should... You know, the, the Beasties need to go on that list of people who are selling millions of hip-hop albums in, yeah. in, in the period. And it was slowly cranking up, and it was... You know, Dre is part of a side effect of groups that Got famous and then produced famous individual members, which rock had been doing for a long time.
1: But Jack- Jackson Five, I would say, yeah, yeah, They've got some. I mean, Jermaine, you know, they people about, did it. Yeah, but, sure. you know,
3: hell, I mean, even country. I mean, like uh, Fifth Edition produced Kenny Rogers. You
2: know? mm, okay,
1: <laughs> gotcha. First edition. Yeah. He was he was a star of uh, Summer of '82 at forty with uh six pack. Or is it six pack or... yeah, yeah, yeah. Six, six pack. pack, yeah. So Troy, but uh before we get into the movie the movie, the music video, uh, <laughs> the movies we watched this week, just quick hits on those. Uh, you may have heard of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Much Ado About Nothing, Son-in-Law, and the Firm. So you got quick thoughts about any of those?
3: Uh Snow White and Seven Dwarves never heard of it. Um <laughs> it's a cartoon. No, I... Yeah, I saw Snow White on the, uh I don't know, it, it, was there a prior, were, what were the re-releases on that? Because I know I saw it in the theater. And Snow White,
1: Um there's, I think it was just every couple years in the 80s and then hitting here in the 90s, like there was a popular re-release.
3: Yeah, I, I know I saw it in the theater, but, um mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's a stone cold classic. You can't <laughs> say too much bad about Snow White. Uh, much Ado About Nothing, Um I thought was great. Uh, Shakespeare mm-hmm. adaptation, really, really great cast. Yep. I mean, Brandon Thompson, were married at the time. They're just on fire chemistry wise. Lots of other great people in it. Michael Keaton's hilarious. You got Denzel and Keanu, which, yeah. you know, makes you realize how goddamn immortal everybody in this cast is. <laughs> That's they true. still all look great. Like back in it. Yeah. You know, that, I think if you're in that movie, you stopped aging.
1: That's I probably mean, where they, yeah, they, they found the vampire juice in that one yeah it's
3: but it's a it's a terrific shakespeare adaptation or
1: it's um, historically accurate because they were all there because they're vampires <laughs> that's right um
3: and uh oh you said the firm and what was the son-in-law oh yeah son-in-law I, I think i told you at a different point that um i i know i've seen son-in-law but i have so little memory of it <laughs> yeah Carlo gugino i remember that yep which, obvious reasons but then uh now the firm, I I had read the book, and so I was excited that they're making the firm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I I saw a actual interview with Tom Cruise way before the movie came out, where he said he was making the firm. I'm like, oh, holy shit, that's interesting, you know. And then, yeah, it's, um, you know, it has a has a different spin on the ending, but it's very effective, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, Holly Hunter is just tremendous in that. That's one. That's the. Mm-hmm performance that sticks with me Ed she, was, she was
1: nominated for it She was nominated for yeah. that twice that and the piano and she'd win for the piano and then her co-star would be her performance in the firm
3: yeah she uh gene Triplehorn was this is the gene triple was kind of having a moment because she was in basic instinct the year before mm-hmm. and then she was in the firm and she was i don't know she she i think she's primed for more stuff i'm not sure what Yeah. The swerve on that was. Because she she was married to Ben Stiller for a while.
1: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that.
3: Yeah. So it was... But yeah. So she... And she's never stopped acting. You know, big love, criminal minds, and all kinds of stuff. But it was just like... She had like these two really big movies in her own. She had big
1: leading lady potential to... Yeah. Yeah. Didn't happen for everybody, I guess. Maybe some choices didn't stick or something like that. Yeah. But
3: I, I think that's a pretty solid uh movie but it did give us i mean it, and it it made grisham i mean grisham was already a bestseller but holy mm-hmm. crap that every one of his books got made yeah yeah I,
1: yep. I think what well, the, the 90s authors would be what like Crichton, uh clancy and grisham probably got a lot like, for pop culture big big release movies
3: yeah i think that's that's extremely fair because um Humphrey in October is ninety, right? And then
1: eighty-nine uh, or ninety, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then Clancy's presence.
3: just, you know, and mm-hmm. Crichton. I mean, you know, Crichton. To be fair, he had been going since the seventies. He was knocking him out, even if people didn't realize. That, like, I don't think a lot of people. If you ask people in the seventies if they weren't big readers, if they knew that Andromeda Strain and Coma and Westworld were all the same dude, I don't mm-hmm. think they'd be surprised. But right. they, I doubt that they. New in the way that you know after Jurassic Park and everything that Crichton was a brand, yeah, in in a very different because in a way King had provided the model for that in the eighties mm-hmm. with you know you you had authors that were adapted before that obviously you know but the the whole way that they marketed King you know the uh, the the newest film from the master of horror you know and that whole right. They they they're like oh shit we can do that with legal guy we can do that with techno thriller guy we can do that with that's true you know, they figured out how to make it across
1: yeah before him was what rolled doll that was the guy that they maybe would tap thanks yeah oh man D-
3: the new tale of awful families from the master of awful, awful families. <laughs>
1: Uh, okay, cool. So, uh, the title, the real title of the song we're talking about today, music video is "Fuck with Dre," and everybody's celebrating, which is the second single from the Chronic, peaking at number eight on the Hot 100. It was certified gold, selling eight over eight hundred thousand records. Um, so song wise, this is a diss song. Uh, Troy, with uh, dissing on Eze, Luke Campbell of Luke Two Live Crew, New York rapper Tim Dog. I'm not familiar with him. I am familiar with Nate Dog, but not Tim Dog, and Ice Cube. Um, so what do you think about this one, Troy? The song wise? Well, I,
3: I I love that. You know, we get to talk about a diss track.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's crazy. Is this one of the earliest like? Sold as a single diss tracks,
3: I think so. Because the, the thing that you know, they were originally just like handed around, like you know, the early versions of mixtapes, yeah, or just cassettes that were handed around to people. But it's like, hey, listen, you know, to what so and so said. But and, and some of that stuff was on. Record. I mean, there's things that you know, like LL Cool J tracks and other things where it's you know they're at least references or shots or whatever. But yeah, yeah, you know, th- this is a start to finish, um mainly about Easy E and and other people who are in collateral damage. but <laughs> Right. <laughs> the video is expressly about Easy E. Yeah,
1: they have the the. It's directed by Dr. Dre and has a stand-in for him called Sleazy E.
3: Yeah. So. I mean it's interesting because you know it's it's not just weaponizing the musical medium, it's weaponizing the video medium in a way that it hasn't
1: been right. No, this is like this is like I'm not just putting this on my record, I'm putting it in your car and I'm putting it in on your TV. Word yeah. is out.
3: Like and, Yeah, and, and the uh the fragmentation that happened in, in N.W.A., Um, I mean, if if anybody's seen the movie, if anybody's seen Straight Outta Compton, or they know the story, they know what happened further, that Mm -hmm. Cube left first, that, you know, he was really pissed with Jerry, the the manager, and all the different things that had gone on in the band, and he goes and he records uh, America's with the KKK, America's Most Wanted, and Mm -hmm. uh, No Vaseline is one of the classic, just absolutely brutal diss tracks of all time, and... You know, this a lot of stuff that would happen on the chronic was in response to these the the, the group fragmenting and the enmity that was happening because you know Easy E stayed aligned with management and the other mm-hmm. guys were like bullshit, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they blew apart, and I mean it's all well documented. So, um, but you know, so Dre is obviously taking aim at Easy E more than. Anybody else, but um you know it's also interesting that he uh not only weaponizes that, but he weaponizes his protege, Snoop Dogg.
1: Snoop Dogg, yeah, and Snoop <laughs> Snoop's in this video, Snoop is going hard. Like I wouldn't mess with him uh in this video. Like he is he's got this look on his face and this attitude that man. Yeah, ass.
3: it's not not the uh Martha Stewart. Pal Corona, Corona
1: commercial. Corona commercial. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he is. Somebody pissed him off. Um. But yeah, they're in a yeah, they're in a parking garage, just singing the track. Dre Dre. I just flashes Funkadelic shirt up in there. Yeah, it's got a nice green color on it. Yeah. Uh,
3: uh, I was I was just gonna. I, there, there are Funkadelic samples all over the Chronic, and mm-hmm. there's there's a small one in in this particular song. There's a couple of different songs that are sampled in this tune but you know there's i think that that was part of as it goes along you see that um dre becomes one of the guys that is vocal about clearing samples yeah and about you know getting you know if nothing else saying if you like this you should listen to george clinton
2: yeah yeah
1: yeah which um the verb that would get hit hardest by sampling either, or a rock band would get hit hard during or yeah. we had the early two thousands. Okay. Bittersweet. Simpsons. No,
3: that was, that was the, the nineties that, right? okay. But, um,
1: their biggest hit song. They could not make a dime off of.
3: Yeah. Well, in, and in recent years, the, the, uh, stones actually gave them
1: right. When, when the they're not back. making, yeah. <laughs> when there's no money left in it. Hey, you know what, you guys,
3: here you go. You can have that well i i think that um oh what's his name richard um john a blank lead singer that was the verb the guy that wrote the song ashworth mm-hmm. um he said that mick and keith gave them the money back oh like it okay. was probably sitting in their uncle scrooge vault of <laughs> gold coins and music royalties that you know mick probably got a check he's like i oh, want that oh the verb let's give it back keith. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no wrong you know.
1: <laughs> All right, we're fine. We'll give it back to the verb.
3: I don't care, man. I don't you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. Give the verb. All right.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't
1: know. Whatever. <laughs> Sorry. I hope the viewers are enjoying our Rolling Stones. <laughs> that was Richards. totally unplanned. Keith yeah. Richards and Mick Jagger. In the summer of ninety three. What were they? They were getting ready for Bridges to Babylon, weren't they? Right? Around yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, so I've been right.
3: It's about that time. They never go away. But no, it's it's interesting. Sometimes and, they're uh, cool,
1: sometimes they're they're like old, cringy, and then they get cool again. It's they have a they come back around those stones.
3: That's right. Now uh oh in, in terms of uh Snoop, uh he mm-hmm. gets to drop which is uh a sample and a reference to George Clinton and the uh atomic dog. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Reference here. It's one of the first Bow Wow Wow yippee, Yo yippee, Yay. Yeah.
3: yeah. Which will go back to in like What's My Name and other songs. Mm-hmm.
1: And, but, uh, I mean, they're just an easy easy, so hard. Like he's got Looney Tune sounds that go with him, like skedaddles and punk punk type things like that. Um did you this one does have like some gay sex jokes. In there, too, or like, the the lyric is Luke's bending over, so Luke's getting stuck. And, like, they show him, like, I'm, like, bending over for a producer or whatever, so.
3: Yeah, there's, like, a zoom in to, like, conceal what's happening, but. Right. That closing iris, but, yeah, it, and that's, you know, as the kids say, that hasn't aged well. But, you know, that's something that's really prevalent in a lot mm-hmm. of hip-hop of uh, not just of that time but well into the 2000s i mean
1: oh yeah, yeah. i mean there's, there's like, a lot
3: of it in Eminem's.
1: beastie catalog. boys beastie boys have it a lot too um and it's just I, and i try to tell people which <laughs> you know you know what's funny like our parents with like <laughs> you know by drinking and driving they'd be like well things were different back in the 70s so here i am with things were <laughs> different back in the night like there was vernacular that I agree was never right to say, but like if you were like a, a, a white guy like me growing up in the Midwest, it was the link. It, I mean, it was just right. And even in pop culture and movies and stuff that like um, saying the three letter word that begins with an F um, with people, that was just, that was just common. Like it's crazy. Like it, We weren't all out with pitchforks. Most of us just said it because it was the thing. You know, those three-letter homophobic slurs. We weren't saying them as a hate crime on that. We were replacing other words just using those and didn't know any better.
3: You know, it's crazy um, if you... how, How frequently that word crops up in 80s stuff. I mean, the monster squad actually has.
1: They got it too. That's the the one, that's the one area the Goonies may have over the monster squad. I'll say that language.
3: Yeah. The Goonies is definitely not better than the monster squad. No, it is not. So, uh, now that we've covered that, um,
1: Oh, don't worry. There's dozens of us that believe that. Dozens.
3: (laughs) But, uh, no, it's it's an unfortunate, you know, side effect of of mm-hmm. a lot of that, and it, it's a there's a lot of songs and a lot of movies that that have those references at the time, mm-hmm. and you know, fortunately, a lot of that's been weeded out. But you know, hell, if you recorded it, it's there. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta you gotta live with people rediscovering that every once in a while,
1: right? But, um I say Dre's got one of the like I don't know this sounding hard, cool lines in history here when he goes, I'm gonna rob you in Compton and blast you in Miami. I'm like, damn. So that sounds pretty coast cool to coast hard, yeah. Coast to coast, like crazy.
3: Well you know, and it's there there's just you know, it's it's one of those things where it really did help propel the album, mm-hmm. and at the same time, it it pushed down Eazy-E in the estimation of a lot of people because mm-hmm. his stuff it, it, he sold a lot of records as a solo artist, but his stuff is not as well regarded.
1: No, and as I, I'll crazy. be honest with you, I don't think I first was hearing of easy i think one of my first instances of knowing of him was this video and um when he was dying uh because i had channel one news back when i was uh in high school middle school that we'd watch with anderson cooper and lisa ling uh and they reported on E's death getting aids and stuff so Oh, no. yeah. I know like, oh, who's easy in NWA with Dre and stuff. I'm like, who is this? This last member. And because of easy E, we discovered the bone, bone thugs and harmony. That was like his guys. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. So I didn't know much of easy E's career at all.
3: Yeah. I think that my understanding of, of what he was doing, like, um, the song boys in the hood and stuff. the things I read about in like, uh, spin and rolling stone because i used to read the music magazines really regularly Mm -hmm. at this point and so even if i wasn't necessarily a fan of something i still read Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot about it right yeah you know contextualized a lot of those things and so you know i uh i appreciated the chronic more later because in in this particular period i was way more into the alt-rock stuff that was very prevalent yeah. and it's like records coming out weekly like yeah. crazy amounts of new stuff
1: yes yeah. i think it was dropping a, is it this time or something like that the alt rock that's where i last done two two uh there was like i it first started before it got its own station when i was up in fort wayne um i think it was called b106 it was a pop station or something and you had to wait till like after ten o'clock at night, and then they'd play alternative music all through there. And I discovered like uh, everything back then, like well, Nine Snails, REM, like that. They played at night. A uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, and they would they'd play it in the middle of the night. And I would take my tape and I'd play it in case I fell asleep and missed something cool and new to me.
3: Well, that that was one of the things that MTV did right in this mm-hmm. period as well was um i've written articles about it for the for the post um you know with the start of UMTV you know, raps where you you know your yep. no wraps was on daily uh, it started with a different schedule but then it became a daily show mm-hmm. and then you had um headbangers ball was saturday night yep and 120 minutes which is the alternative show was sunday night mm-hmm. and um a lot of this stuff was tape traded Especially in those days when MTV didn't have saturation right. to every cable system and stuff. You and I talked about this a different time, but you know, one of my friends had would tape 120 minutes and then the tape would get passed around to people huh. who didn't have right. MTV and then like you'd have to episodes taped over the previous episodes, you know, where it was like it would go around and you know, not everybody had it, but it was a way that you know the music circulated, but um you had these avenues and openings. So even if your local radio stations are just like, I've got a pop station, a country station, a classic mm-hmm. rock station, you could go to MTV and be like, Oh, I'm not hearing this on my radio, but I'm hearing this here. I'm not hearing this music here. I can hear it on the college station, but MTV's actually playing it on Sunday night. Right. You know, and, and it it really it did expand what people were listening to. It was the fact that if you look at those shows when they started. And then you look at when SoundScan came in, MTV prepared a lot of kids for those albums. Yeah. Because a lot of people, like, there's a lot of musicians, a lot of musicians were active then. They really want to downplay the impact of MTV. And and I think they're wrong. (laughs) It's like, because the bands that really blew up and everything were the bands that were MTV supported. Yeah. Um MTV did not, you know, there's eight, there's bands that played for a long time and maintained their genre and they've been very prevalent and influential, you know, but like MTV didn't play Agent Orange, so Agent Orange wasn't selling mm-hmm. two million records. MTV was playing Urge Overkill, so Urge Overkill was selling two million and
1: records. And I'm sure between you and I, there there was a more than a record or two that we got pushed over into buying because a video was awesome and we were like, oh, yeah. oh, I'll pick that up.
3: Or or I think, too, one of the things that probably had an impact on me is that there was a lot of bands I read about mm-hmm. that I didn't have a context for hearing that I wasn't going to just go out and buy the album. And then I saw the video and I'm like, OK, now I get it. I'll, right? I'll check that out. Like Afghan Wigs, for example, or, you know, <laughs> be a good yeah. example of that. Or Red Cross or you know definitely groups that i'd read about and then i saw and i'm like oh i can contextualize this now and like yeah now now that seems like something i'll i'll invest like buying a whole cd in because i i did regularly in my best friend sean he, he would buy you know cheap tapes at headstone music and plug they still oh. exist but you know one dollar two dollar tapes is you know is a different thing <laughs> in yeah the, in the used bins and my first solo style record i got out of a cutout bin, oh, which gotcha. is, yeah, and the horse they rode in on, yeah.
1: <laughs> Foreshadowing, uh, cool. Yeah, um, I did. I do get. Cra- uh, I did get a kick out of a during after I, uh, the sleazy e with the will work for food sign. We have the disclaimer on there, which I'm going to call the disclaimer because it's hilarious. It's like, oh, none of the people in here were were named or, or should, like real people, and it's hilarious. Like that's I feel like that was an MTV edition. Not a, yeah, Dr. Dre edition. Please don't sue us. <laughs> right, right people in the video in the song are fictional. Any likeness to real? Like, yeah, come on, sleazy Jesus.
3: Well, I don't. I don't know about you know Tim Dog. you mentioned a bit like on the on the arc of the universe. Um, we know that Dre reconciled with Easy before he died.
1: Right. And we yeah, know they, they all did, right? Because, I mean, he yeah. was kind of the one that they were all like, screw that guy, so.
3: Yeah, and Dre and Cube were cool by the time that Let It Ride came out. Yeah, just a couple months later, yeah. Because Cube is in that video. And <laughs> mm-hmm. so whatever was going on, they put that to bed. So as a, as a document of, of that, it, it's kind of like antiquated in a way. Mm-hmm. But, it, I mean, it is what it is. It exists but it probably is best as a document of look at what Snoop was going to be.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and Dre's humble. He's no. I mean, the, this, this album feels like, yeah, you said the, the introduction and launching pad for Snoop. Um, Cause yeah, that's what, I mean, Dre, 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 I think relishes more in producer role than he does being an artist.
3: Yeah. And, and I think that as far as Dre Day goes, I mean, there are better Dre songs. Oh yeah. But it's just the, the, this hit in a way. And in a time where it's like the iron was hot and Snoop is new. And you know, it doesn't sound like other stuff on the radio. Oh yeah, sure. And it's, it's a, a very strong delineation of that West coast sound that Dre is hugely influential in putting down.
1: Yeah. And, and because it's, it's got attitude, it's, it's harsh and, you know, feels angry. Like, yeah, he's not talking to all of us. He's talking to these specific people. But it did. I feel this is kind of like where you're like, oh,
3: rap. Uh,
1: white people being like, rap is scary because it's got that attitude.
3: You know, it's it's funny you mention that because there's a Time magazine cover which I believe had Eddie Vedder on it, if mm-hmm. I remember right. But it was the the headline was all the rage. And they had a story about how angry pop music was at the time. And they talked about like the Seattle bands and and hip hop and like, you know, Metallica's Black Album and everything. (laughs) It was the context of that, which is not wrong. I mean, there's there's substantial anger and angst in a lot of those.
1: I mean, after years and years uh, of having to deal with America in the Gulf War of 19... Oh, wait, no.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that that's, you know, I, I think that there's probably a a fair case to be made for that. That, like, uh, Dave Girls talked a lot about the Rock Against Reagan show that he was at as a kid. Oh, wow. And that, you know, the the punk bands played in DC and everything, and, you know, as dead Kennedys and everybody. And um <laughs> Ted Kennedy, Jell uh, jello B. offers set uh, pointed at the Washington body, but has those two red <laughs> light warning lights. And he's like, Look at the towering Klansman with his two red eyes, and you know, and like the cops were coming in and everything. But you know, Reagan era, Reagan and Bush gave a lot of people reason to write protest music, and a lot of it was just like our town is shitty. A lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff that's coming out of there, like you know, hell, man, nineteen fucking ninety-one. Jeremy is a song about school shooting. Yeah, you know the stuff that they're singing about is, yeah, is relevant, you know, rooster by Allison chains is a song about, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, about Lane Staley's dad in Vietnam, you know, they're, they're singing about real shit and the stuff that, you know, drain everybody were, we're rapping about. There's a lot of like sensationalized stuff, but there's uh-huh. also a lot of very, you know, this is shit that happens. <laughs> Yeah. And and so it was anger in a lot of cases. You know, oh, okay. it was and it was uh it, the you know for, for a song from from the same period just a couple of years before, Rockin' in the free world by Neil Young. A oh, wildly yeah. misinterpreted song. But it's born about, in
1: the USA, just yeah, yeah
3: stuff is shitty. And you know, particularly when he talks about the kid, he's like the you know, there's one more kid that'll never go to school, never get to grow up, never get to be cool. Um, He's the kids he's talking about are the guys that are making the music. Right. (laughs) That's that's coming right after him. It's like that, the lost opportunity there's, you know, Hey, I think we got screwed here. (laughs) You know, I think that's a lot of the anger and they, they got, they experienced it different ways, you know? Right. But there's, there's a common well of where a lot of that stuff is is coming from
1: yeah. and they don't end up in these nice clean little sing along arena sing sing along choruses either that's the that's the thing they stay harsh in the chorus
3: yeah yeah it's and and i uh there's a lot of good young bands, but hmm. the uh you know they're not they're not necessarily angry. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's not to say that they don't have a uh, a lot of anger. Like, like very recently we we've discovered oh, well, maybe people knew about it before, but like I didn't know that Matt Healy from the 1975 was such an asshole. Ah. <laughs> so, until recently yeah. with all this talk about stuff he said on podcasts has come out and everything. It's like, okay, that's not I'm angry and I put it into my music. That's you're a dick.
1: Mm-hmm. But Well, we had Lars. Wasn't he kind of a dick? Or at least he talked like he was one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here in the- yeah.
3: I, I think a lot of people thought that Lars was a douchebag. But, yeah. <laughs> you know. But, but, yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting to see, like, where it's come to the fact that... And I, I'm not going to... I think cuddly is the wrong word. <laughs> but where Dre and, Dre and Snoop have become such, like, you know... I don't, I don't want to say grandfatherly either, but they're like they're seen as like benign old dudes to the right. point where Dre got to program the Super Bowl halftime show. It and was it good. was, yeah. it, you know, Mary J. Blige's side, who has always been just a stellar R&B talent. Oh, dude. yeah. And, and Kendrick, who came up in a very different um, era for, for hip-hop. Um, Dre, Snoop, Eminem, and, and Fiddy have had <laughs> a shitload of controversy around. Yes, they, they have.
1: And yeah, and they
3: get them, it's like, but they're they get to do the halftime show, and it's mm-hmm. it's a very very weird thing. It's still, it still it boggles my mind that those dudes did the halftime show, and the Foo Fighters have not yet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, crazy.
3: You'd think that they would be the a natural call, but it's but. I think it's interesting and a lot of the uh, nostalgia that our age group has for that stuff is sometimes tempered any hard questions that we might ask about. Right.
1: (laughs) And a lot, I'd say there's many of us in the, in the like the, you know, Caucasian crowd that they like it now, but back then they are probably, I don't know if they did, you know, like it's got nostalgia factor now with
3: it yeah it, it wore him down
1: <laughs> yeah it wore him down um but
3: I, I hazard a guess to say that there are quite a few people who probably listen to that that do not take the time to listen to new kendrick or new run the jewels or whatnot when, oh yeah for when sure. it drops they 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 are they'll, they'll wait until the song is like really huge to acknowledge its existence <laughs>
1: of course yep it's not on the radio oh now it's on the radio i like it it was on your album the whole time, man. You bought it. Yeah. <laughs> I skipped to the singles. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that'll do it for this one, Troy. Uh, you'll be back here in a few weeks. Um, so till then, uh, what do you got going on and where can people find you at?
3: Um, you can find me at Saturday Evening Post, SaturdayEveningPost.com. And, um, basically, I'm also writing, um, comic kind of book series for uh title wave. Uh, it's getting ready to come out soon. Um, you'll so keep an eye out for that. Um, the uh, legend of ISIS book about the mythological characters, a superhero, not the terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, right. Uh, legend of ISIS has been around for uh, a couple of decades now. And so I'm writing a new mini series for that. That'll be out soon. And some other projects like that coming up. So, but you can follow me. Um, at Troy Brownfield on Twitter and uh also Troy Brownfield on Facebook. So just see what you can find.
1: Oh, excellent! Excellent. All right, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon for QHD written work and blue.com Come back Monday, Scott, Aaron, and I are talking in the line of fire weekend at Bernie's two rookie of the year as the summer of '93 at 30 continues.
0: All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. The Summer of... And news themes by Press Maxon. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.